Sony embraces layoffs. Hello and welcome to Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me each and every week is one Mr. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you, Brett? I am doing uh, fine, Chris. I'm going to tell you, look, we can level with each other right now. We've spent mm. two hours when we should have been <laughs> recording this True. doing something else, uh, which is very fun, and I'm having a great time. But we continue to push ourselves where I'm like, okay, I kind of need to probably make this episode a little quicker. <laughs> so <laughs> if you like long episodes, guess what? There's not really a lot of news this week to even yeah. help fill out the time. Uh, so with that in mind, we are going to get around to starting the show off. But first, if you are new to the show, we welcome you. We hope you enjoy it. We are, a, of course, a gaming podcast that looks through uh, at the industry through the lens of being PlayStation fans primarily, though, of course, we've played Xbox, PlayStation, uh, PC, everything, uh, Nintendo, as we see fit and as there are things that interest us. Uh, though the tide has started to shift to where we can enjoy those games and talk about them, or at least it seems to be mm. coming without necessarily always owning the console. So we're approaching an interesting spot, but we hope you stick around with us. We are going to be talking about the PS plus leaks for next month. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Sony potentially bringing PSVR two uh, elsewhere. We're going to talk about a little bit of Elden ring since we didn't last week. And in probably the worst news, uh, Sony has decided to stoop to the depths of Embracer and uh, everyone else and what continues to be a tough time to be employed in the games industry. But if you'll stick around with us, we'll get to those eventually. We're going to start to show off in a time-honored way of always checking in on what each other have been playing so that we can give you something to maybe put on your radar or to pick up next, or we can maybe make you avoid <laughs> something <laughs> if it doesn't sound up your alley. Um, so, Chris. Brett. What have you been playing this week? Let the people know. Um, well, I'm still playing Fallout 3. I'm still cranking away at that. I'm uh, getting close to the end, and I'm a little sad. It's weird. I'm a little sad. I kind of want to keep going. <laughs> Chris, can I, can I introduce you to a concept? Yeah. You're, you're technically doing it right now with the caveat that you don't actually have the Platinum on this account. But you can keep playing a game after you platinum it if you just really like it. No, I know. It's one of those things where, like, <laughs> I'm ready to be done, but I'm sad that I'm almost done. You know? Bittersweet. Yeah. I get it. You know, I it, it's been a great playthrough. There's been just so much that I... It's nostalgic, and it has me thinking of, like, the next time I do this, right? And, like, I hope I put it away for couple years but it'd be kind of nice in like my 60s to unshrink wrap my ps5 or my ps3 and throw on a fallout 3 game of the year edition in the retirement home i'm in play it <laughs> in its original like form dude <laughs> that's the question right will that game be on a new console or is it like you're gonna have to go back because we didn't do anything with fallout 3 well like arguably chris you're in that position right now you can play Fallout 3 in much higher resolution, much more stably, and with a higher frame rate, and you're choosing not to. Actually, you, you can't right now because you sold your Xbox, but you, you had the opportunity up until about a week and a half ago. 
<laughs> and it's funny because I specifically never played that version because I was like, I'm not fucking up the PS3 one when I go back. Like, I can't ruin it. That's, that's exactly the, what would happen. You wouldn't be able to go back. Yeah. And that's the benefit of doing this is the next time. Like, I can be like, I'm just going to play it on the uh, PlayStation Series Y or whatever it is and move forward with my life. But yeah, Fallout 3 is really good. I just, um, before the podcast started, I killed the fifth and final Super Mutant Behemoth. Mm, uh, that yeah. was a that was a brutal fight. If anyone knows the Tacoma Park behemoth, there's like this stretch of open area with a bunch of uh, super mutants shooting at you, and they're the higher level ones. And one of them's just got a rocket launcher. And I don't know if you know this, but in Fallout Three, if you blow up the cars, they're mini nukes. Because in the Fallout universe, all the cars are powered by nuclear energy, all this kind of stuff. So I'm trying to get up there. And just getting absolutely fucking just destroyed. I can't even make it to fight. And the only reason I got through it this time is because one of them happened to run all the way down. And I just kept killing them as they came around corners. And that was made it so much easier. But um, yeah, that was really fun. The I, did, I finished the vault Tech bobbleheads yesterday. So I just have to get like 30 more terminals, finish a couple quests, and it's all over. I'd hope to have it done tonight, but... I guess I'll have it done probably tomorrow and then I'll move on to something else. But it's been a great experience, man. It was really fun because there was even this point in the last couple of days where uh, I was going through areas with just not enough heals. And like I'm level 23, like I'm confident, but I'm getting smoked in these spots and it's killing me to the point where there was one the other day when I was going for my last bobblehead where I was legitimately like, I think I locked my save. Like, I don't think I can do this. And then I found a bathroom and drank out of the toilet for 15 minutes, and then I was fine. I just killed everything else. But until that moment, it was like one health, the heartbeat monitor's going off. It was a lot. But yeah, Fallout 3 is fucking I, great. Go play it. Look, Fallout 3, Fallout New Vegas are both great games. I, I wish I had the same reverence for 4 as I do either of those two games. I, 4 is fine. I, I yeah. genuinely don't mean to say that 4 is bad. It's not. I just don't ever think of four in the same light as either of those two. No, me neither. And I love and, and that's yeah, and that's just an interesting thing because I have a really tough time. First of all, I didn't exhaust Fallout Four like I did the other two. You know, I had played as much as I felt like I could at those times. Whereas four, I literally beat it and was like, "Thank God, <laughs> I, I'm ready. Uh, take yeah. me." But. Uh, going through, I've always thought it was interesting, uh, and, and 76 may do something a little bit like this, but I've always wished that they would have let you be a ghoul and be yeah. able to change up and be like, okay, <laughs> part of the way I'm going to change my play strategy is that because now I'm a ghoul, I could just feed off of people's energy. <laughs> like, that's just well, you what I can I'm, do that, but well, sort of, it's the cannibal, but type, so. yeah, but it's different, no, <laughs> you know what right. I mean, yeah. Uh, so I just I thought that'd be interesting. Like you could, cause you if you feed off radiation, and so I actually think ghoul would be kind of interesting because you can either purposely seek out doing crazy shit to find means of radiation, or you can just go and try and be in high radiation zones and do things that are highly irradiated. Uh, I just think it'd be an interesting play style. Surely no, there's I a agree. reason that they don't let you do it because maybe it's too complicated to uh, to bring in the mechanics for and make it compelling well, but I in a game that it, lets you do so much stuff definitely new vegas because yeah i love three but new vegas is a little bit more in the in the weeds in terms of detail that it lets you do and that seems like an evolution that they would have done in new vegas 
since they were building on top of a pre-existing. Like Fallout 3 had the negative aspect of having to be the first game in that series, whereas New Vegas, as quickly and haphazardly as it was built, because they were told, they had the benefit of building on top of an existing engine and world. Yeah. You know, or to ish. me, I think the ghoul thing is that, A, as someone who's played Fallout, I'm saying this, but it's not really true. Radiation is supposed <laughs> to be a threat. Like it's, radiation is not a threat. Like, well, it's not. Yeah, it's not anyway, but. But it's supposed to be. But the real reason you can't do it in Fallout 3, can you guess why? I mean. Because they couldn't it, end the game the way they wanted to end the game oh, if you could become yeah. a ghoul. If you, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That's why. Because originally, I won't spoil it, but like you couldn't even send Fox to do it. Mm. So mm. clearly they were like, yeah, we're not letting this happen. But it doesn't make sense that like I should be able to go stand on barrels and become a ghoul. I also should be able to, if you do the evilest thing in the game, probably in video games ever, really, if you do that and go back there, I should be able to become a ghoul. <laughs> well, I think the complicated part is actually in-universe how ghouls are even created because mm. some people die, like in real life, from high radiator, uh, radiator radiation exposure. Yeah. And some people had such a quick and crazy hit of radiation that it skipped right past that and just permanently mutated them in order to be able to sustain themselves off of said radiation. Um, so I guess what it is, is how would you consistently do it? It's not like becoming a vampire in oblivion where you just get bit and that's clearly how it transmits and it's fine. And it doesn't really stop anything else for the rest of the game. I think this one's like, how would you, how would you go about becoming one? Would you go into the the pits of the highest radiation and just stand there for long enough? If it if it was me, I would have made it a rare interaction where it's like, hey, you hit critical rad sickness fifteen times, you've just become a ghoul, and you get a a perk like, and that, you can never go back. And yeah. You can never go back. That's what I would do. The t- everyone treats you worse. And yeah. what would be really cool about that is if you could play the game mostly regular. But you could never go past evil karma because that's how everyone sees you anyway. Like, yeah, that would be a karma lock detail. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of ideas for it. Maybe when we get uh, you know Fallout Five in twenty years. um, Yeah, at this rate, we can see what they do. (laughs) PS Six or maybe. (laughs) <laughs> maybe, like I said, maybe somehow. Look, I, I know what the real answer of it is. Actually, you were talking about all that, but the real answer is that you're you're a human who has has been in a vault. Right. There's no reason why you would be a ghoul, but that's why. Again, like we're saying, New Vegas. Why can't I just be. become one? <clears throat> but the basic guy. Yeah, you're right. New Vegas is again the perfect answer because yeah. you you don't know where the fuck you came from. Yeah, you just. Got the game was chip. rigged against the, the game was rigged against you from the start. <laughs> Matthew Perry's chip, and then it was over for you. Yeah, I don't know. Those are interesting games, but the the sad reality is, is I, for anyone who still likes Bethesda's newer games to that degree, I'm very glad for you. I don't know if it's because of me or because of Bethesda or a little bit of column A and column B, but I just have not felt that way about a Bethesda game and. I can safely say ten years now. <laughs> I've never I can actually, not liked I can say that. Game. I can say that since since Skyrim. Skyrim was the last Bethesda game that I was like, hell yeah! 
Fallout 4, I, I beat it and I enjoyed it, but I was ready to be done with it. Fallout 76 is, eh, and it's not even, it, technically it's made by Bethesda Game Studios. Made by game. <laughs> um, um, Fallout 4, the remaster, whenever that comes out, I will drop every single thing in my life. <laughs> I am actually trying to hype myself to try the remaster. Yeah. If and when it makes it out. It will. So I can see if this time around... I do have the drive to do the side content that I just didn't feel driven to do the first time. Dude, that's like, crazy. It has such good side stuff. But the problem is like there's none of the what Bethesda loses in Fallout 4 to a degree is the side environmental storytelling. It's not I don't feel it's as good in Fallout 4 as it is in Fallout 3. So it kind of brings you down. <clears throat> like there's a place in Fallout 3 is slight spoilers for something you probably will never see is if you go into this side house it's like and you talk to the mr gutsy in there i think i don't think that's what the docile ones are called but yeah if you talk to him he runs this a uh he runs this pattern where he goes into the bedroom to a bunk bed and on the top bunk there's like a a child's skeleton and then he just Mm -hmm. starts singing lullabies and there's that is first of all that's fucking terrible and awful to think about in a great way in a great way but i don't feel fallout 4 had that much of that yeah well i think there's a couple reasons for that though right i think that they kind of purposely moved more away from rpg than they had been before (laughs) one of the things about fallout 4 that got me is specifically the fact i'm so glad that the gunplay is good because the biggest reason i'm worried about going back to Fallout 3 in new vegas either of them is that they are fantastic games with barely serviceable gunplay. Oh, I love the gunplay, dude. It's so bad, and I love it. It's so bad. It's, it's great when you're using VATS. <laughs> yeah. It's very much cope, but I saw someone say this in a YouTube video where it makes sense that the shooting is bad because you've never shot you're, a gun. Yeah, you're supposed to be. A, <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, is, that is copium to the it's highest degree. Super but, cope. But it, like, it's it, also it's ultra environmental storytelling. <laughs> well, and it's interesting because in Fallout Four, you are a vault dweller, mm-hmm. not in the same way, but your character was a soldier. So it before kind of yeah. yeah. So it yeah. makes sense. Whereas that he three, has you've literally skill. been raised in the vault. Yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, you where killed you, your mother, yeah. and then were raised in the vault or whatever it was. <laughs> so, um, but um, but see, but why does that work for New Vegas? There's no reason. <laughs> well new vegas has a lot of problems new vegas does have a lot of problems and a lot of great things but no going back to four the the real thing i think happened is that i i to a degree understand why they thought maybe it was a good idea but pulling away from having multiple decisions that are yeah. based on different skill checks and just Terrible. having four canned responses that didn't even tell you from the the little blip that they gave you it didn't even make it obvious what you were saying no, that it was had my the, like, biggest complaint. I, it'd be I like, don't like that either. Oh, it'd be like this. You thought you were going to be saying one thing, and then it's like, never mind. He said the exact opposite of what I thought I was choosing because this thing gave zero information. Yeah, it's very much the like L.A. Noir thing where it's like it's, Cole it's, is just <laughs> sitting there, and you hit it's down baby's first screaming. RPG. It very much is. Well, it's like a, you're technically yeah. getting to make a decision, and that yeah, you are. You are getting to decide what's being said, but almost none of it's based on your skills. Your skills, you can't really play a dumb character in that game. The way, and don't, yeah. that's just a that's a bare bones, but it's a great ex- example point for that game. Um, 
the great thing about all the other ones is you can just play an idiot character and people well, react well, to you differently off of being an imbecile. Here's the thing, or though. you can be good at certain things. Go ahead. Fallout Three only has one instance of low intelligence. Of low, in- yeah, but it's there. It sure, it's fair. I don't know. I'm excited for Fallout 3, Fallout Four. I'm also excited for Fallout Three Remastered, but um, Fallout Three Fallout Four is just noticeably different. I wouldn't say worse, um, but it's not like the <clears throat> second coming. Like Fallout Three is a transformative game for me and a lot of people. But mm-hmm. Fallout 4 is not that. It's just like, oh shit, the Red Sox play here. This is really fucking cool. Like that's really like half <laughs> yeah, the half sure. the game for me. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think the last thing I'd say about that, uh, and then we can kind of move on to what else you've been playing. But um, I'd say the the big thing for Bethesda, you were saying like how good the side content is for four, and I, I think it's a context issue. That game came out a few months after I finally finished The Witcher Three which mm-hmm. I think has some of the best side content that's ever been in games. And so when you compare the two and the, it's a problem across the board, are they similar games? Not really. No. I'm not even trying to act like they are, but they're both claiming to be RPGs and they're both doing things very differently. Whereas fallout four seemed dated and old, even when it came out in many ways, the Witcher wasn't. Whereas the Witcher had very high quality side content that was most of the time it depends on it depends but there was there was enough of it that matched or exceeded the quality of the already excellent main story that you'd be like wow and i don't think fallout 4's none of the missions that i started because i didn't see a single side quest through to the end like a side storyline because none of them could even pull me to start and i think that that was telling enough for me is like this game is just contextually very dated and so it's easier to kind of just be jaded towards it and that's why i want to play it again because i don't necessarily think it was fair but life isn't fair the reality is is that you chose to come out months after what for many was a transformative game much like you were talking about and you weren't yeah go so you're going to be compared yeah (laughs) Um, right (laughs) first of all if you go back the one side quest you need to do is the the silver shroud Mm-hmm. Like you shouldn't even talk about the side content until you do the silver shroud. Such a great fucking thing. Um, but yeah, no. So, anything else on Fallout Three? Because I'm pretty sat- satiated. Nah, keep going. Um, the other game I've had some experience with. I don't have as much, obviously, but I did play Pacific Drive. How you feeling? Final Fantasy Rebirth comes out tomorrow, so. That's how I'm feeling. Really? Not yeah. landing with you at all? No, I like it, but I don't like it enough to not play other things. Interesting. Okay. That's better. I was yeah. really worried that you meant you didn't like it at all. And I was like, damn, that's wild. Chris's no. survival game is already, tra- his survival <clears throat> game swing is already ended. It was one of those things where, like, I guess I should have, but like, I'm not a, you know, super big trailer watcher. I usually see one or two and I'm like, yeah, I'll keep my eye on that and then follow it. But I didn't know how survival Pacific drive was. Oh, it's very like, it's almost too much. Like almost every time you come back from using the car, you're having to repair the car that I like that. I like, but the problem with it was like, Oh, my resource is broken. It's it's resource management. And it was one of those things where like, I don't dislike it because I like the world. I like the world is awesome. 
Mm. Like you just drop in and there's like rocks floating around and all this cool shit going on. But that aspect of it in and of itself is one of those things where I'm like, do I want to do this today? And the answer has been, and again, I'm in a fallout fever dream right now where I'm not stopping that for anything except what I've played of the other game I'll talk about. So yeah, it's really that, but I do like Pacific Drive, and I will say when I'm on my PS5 currently, I'm usually going offline and playing like 15 minutes of Pacific Drive and then going back to Fallout. So mm-hmm. take that for what you will. We'll see where I land when this is over. Probably end up playing like Vanquish next. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the last game on my list, I don't even know how to pronounce it, but it's uh, Bellatro. Have you seen Bellatro yet? I don't think so. Oh, it is very good. So if you're a poker player, you'll like Bellatro. It's a roguelike poker game. Are you but playing it on phone? No, it's on PS5. I own it. You can. Oh, really? It. You can play it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so good. it's uh, it was one of those games where like I heard about it on a podcast, and I was like, that sounds really cool. I downloaded the trial. Like I was playing it before we hopped on. And I downloaded the trial. I was playing that and it went, you have 10 minutes left. And I went, no, I don't. And I bought the game because I was having so much fun to the point where like I was planning on showering before this and (laughs) didn't. So (laughs) it's really cool. So you're, uh, you get these boons, like all these kind of games. Um, So you get Joker cards, Joker cards are your buffs. So you'll get like multiplier, stuff like that. And what you want to do is win the most, uh, the bit that win the pot. So the boss will have, I need, you need to get 5,600 uh, chips and then you, 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 you win. So with this is just, you're just trying to get, you're trying to draw and discard to get flush two pair, three of a kind, four of a kind, all this kind of stuff. And your deck mm-hmm. cycles. And I believe I'm fairly sure it shuffles. So, that's the basics of it, and it's really fucking cool, man. Like you can set your jokers to where I had one where it was every time you get points on an even card, you get a times three multiplier, and every time you get points on an odd card, you get plus thirty chips. So I was doing like four pair, nine pair, and then I was getting like two thousand chips coming back because you can upgrade that. You can upgrade how much your multi. You can up so you can upgrade the types of poker hands. I don't know what they're called, but you can upgrade the types of hands so you can get like these planet cards. One of them is like Venus is the one I've been taking the most because you see a lot of two pairs. So I've been taking Venus, which upgrades your two pairs. So you get every time you get two pair, you get more coins and you get a bigger multiplier. So you can do stuff like that. Um, But yeah, it's really, really fun. I recommend it. Um, you don't need to know how to play poker to play it. You just need to remember like uh, you need to remember the basics of a flush or a full house or a two pair or even a high card. And then that's how you do it. Right. Yeah. But so, does the game, cause you're, you're right. There are people I know who just genuinely have no insight on poker at all. Um, 
I'm not a huge poker player, but I yeah. understand the game and I know how it works. So it's a game where I could see I could easily jump in and I know the basics enough that since it's fucking with the basics in a lot of ways anyway, you're not playing real poker. You're playing a really weird version of it. Um, yeah, you're just trying to get the But hands. does it does it actually tell you, like, does it hint at the fact that, hey, you have a you have two of, or do you just have to in- intuitively know that? Do you have to be like, you oh, have, I have two cards, you I have, have two look- pairs. So it doesn't like, <clears throat> like, there's no like, oh, it's going to highlight your best hand. I should say this. Does it assume you've played poker? No. So it does talk about the different types of hands you can yeah, get. It at shows some point. you. The first thing it shows you is the list and how you get them. But okay, what's nice good. is it'll, if you think <clears throat> you have something, it'll show you in the scoring side of the screen. It'll say like two pair, or it'll say flush, or it'll say full house. So it'll tell you on the screen there how many points you're going to get, what kind of hand you're showing, and your multipliers. Okay. Uh, The other cool wrinkle is the bosses have modifiers on them. So, like, one I was just playing, which was fucking hard, was it was all face cards coming upside down. Okay, So, so what does that matter? Because I couldn't see them. So, oh, 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 face down, face so, down. Yes. So here's face cards are face down. But the the thing I didn't say is you only get a certain amount of hands per blind. So it's like you do three, you do a uh, small blind, big blind, boss blind. Gotcha. Um, so in a in a small blind, it, I don't, I haven't noticed it change per level. But let's say you're doing a small blind, you would have to hit 420 coins in three hands. So the gotcha. three hands are what you put on the board. And then that's where the discard mechanic comes in where you can be like, okay, I have two nines. I don't have any other pairs. I'm just going to discard everything else and draw all five of those back or what, however okay. many you discard. And I'm assuming that looking at this, this is where the roguelite element of it comes in because you can do well enough in the game and then start giving yourself boons that carry from each yeah. game to be like, all right, so now if I get – you know, like it's like you said, two pairs. I'm going to get more money out of that so I can make mm-hmm. sure I get past the small blind easier and yep. I get past the and then, each, yeah, yeah, I got you. There's other mechanics where like you can, so they have this thing called tarot cards, and those are those will give like you can make one where it's like, okay, turn one card gold. And if you have that gold card, you get three dollars. Dollars is how you buy upgrades. And then uh, if it stays in your hand at the end of the game, right? So if you never play it or it happens on the last turn, it comes back in your hand, bam, there you go. You get your three bucks. But if you if you put it on the board, you might get more chips, like that kind of stuff. Okay, um, yeah, I got you. They have one where it's like, okay, we're going to give this one specific four card a boon that if it gets discarded, you get a tarot card. So it does, it does cool stuff like that. Um, I really enjoy it. I think it's really fun, so... It's interesting how timeless card games are, but it, it does depend on who you are because some people really like card games. Like there's so many games that have come out lately that people are like, this game's awesome. This game's awesome. But some people just never click with them. So yeah. things like, um, what's that roguelite deck builder game, um, that you were a big fan of. Slay, you the, saw? Spire. Slay the Spire, which I still need to try. You've um, never played it. No, never have. <laughs> Oh. Here's the thing. I'm pretty sure I'd like it. Is what's funny. I know I would, but you know, then you have things like inscription, and you have things like, things like this. There's a lot of games fucking great. that are very old school ideas, 
Mm-hmm. And they just keep coming around with some interesting shtick. It's like, oh, this is cool. Like just playing a card game is fun. I, that's just the reality. Yeah. And it's funny because like when we were uh, when we were visiting my family um, up north, well, northern Arkansas at the very least, uh, for Christmas and doing our family Christmas, which is like beginning of January, um, we spent we spent like three hours playing multiple different card games, half of which I'd never heard of, and it was just fun. It's like fun learning Absolutely. a game. I, I love that. Like some people are like, some people don't inherently understand that learning a game is fun. I'm like, yeah, even if I'm not good at it, sometimes it's just fun to be like, what the fuck is this? How does yeah. this work? Yep. Yeah. I there was one that was like called that. Spoons and I'd never played. And you put spoons on the table and you put however many players you have, one less spoon down. So if there's 12 players, you put 11 spoons. The right. idea is that you keep passing a card around and then eventually, once people have a certain combination of cards in their hand, they're the first person to grab the spoon. And once someone grabs the spoon legitimately, everyone else grabs a spoon. And if you're the person who's too slow to grab a spoon, you're disqualified. And then you have to, and it keeps going around until you get down to one spoon. Which, that's kind of fun. It's yeah, it's like a crazy, weird, super luck of the draw. But there's also that element of how good are your reflexes? Yeah, you don't have to be the first person to get the certain cards in hand. You just have to make sure you grab a spoon before <laughs> someone everyone else does. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, card games are just interesting. I, I, I like them because it goes to show you how crazy it is that just even a single deck of normal playing cards has so many variations of ideas that you can clearly be like, there's probably no way you'd ever exhaust ideas because you can just yeah. come up with anything. And as long as you can make it consistent enough, people want to do it, you have fun. I mean, even when, I, you're, when, even when you're playing Yu-Gi-Oh, it's just a fanciful playing card. card. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I used to play one that was called, it was either Mr. President or Asshole. It was one of the two. I think it was Mr. President. And I don't remember how you play it to this day, but what I do remember is whoever became president had to pick a rule for the next loser. So people were just at this party and we would play and it would be like, okay, I'm the president. Whoever loses has to do a 16 bar freestyle rap. And like, that was how we played. And it was so much fun. Yeah. That's actually a fun idea. It was a good game. Brett, when everybody been- tries to beat up on everybody, be like, he hates rapping. Let's see if we can make him lose. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, there's a game that we share that I want to use last. Uh, I'm going to go back to banishers for a bit. I am not going to talk at length about Banishers because I talked enough about it last week, but I think it's a game that continues to get better the more you play it. And I'm going to be real. I think that's kind of rare in modern gaming. I think most games are either at their best at the beginning or at the end. I think it's very rare that the majority of the time I'm playing, I'm like, this game continues to get better and introduce more ideas that continue to be good enough to be like, Oh cool. I'm very glad I have this. And it just keeps going. It's, (laughs) you you know how some people look at things like, and and so this isn't saying that this is something prophetic or anything, but people look at um, Bloodborne and souls games as like a 3d Metroidvania. And it's funny because I think in some ways that's true, but in other ways it's not because a lot of the time you're not actually waiting for a skill to be able to get somewhere, it's just really more, can you be strong enough to overcome this boss that moves you to the next area? Um, whereas this game really is eyeing into that. It's like, okay, there are areas that you can't progress through. You can find them. You can get to them while exploring. 
but you just can't run through them because you haven't unlocked the ability that allows you to do this yet. Uh, and so I've been having a lot of fun with that. And my favorite thing is, as any good Metroidvania has, the thing that you unlock that allows you to continue map progression should also be good in gameplay and in combat exploration mm-hmm. or whatever, puzzle solving. And they are doing that here. And I think that's awesome. Cool. It's like every aspect of it's coming around. Um, my last real remark on it is I'm very surprised at how beefy the game is uh, for it to still be a budget title. It was only $60. It is the new $50 title. Um, and how much I feel like this is a mid-generation PS4 first-party console exclusive. Like in terms of style, this is a game that as I'm playing and looking at, I'm like, Sony would have been all over this in 2015. <laughs> you know, like 2015 to 2017, Sony would have been like, let's go, you're doing it. Yeah. Well, so maybe not 2023 Sony, sadly. Or yeah, 24, but yeah. I look like it. <laughs> I like everything I've played of Banishers. I I keep wanting to go back, but I don't know what I'm not going to play to play Banishers at this point. You know? Yeah. It's like we got Dragon's Dogma, but then it's Final Fantasy, and then the same time as Dragon's Dogma is the game I'm going to spend 300 hours on this year again with MLB 24. Mm-hmm. So I have no fucking clue when I'm going to play that, but I liked Banishers. I really do want to give it a shot, but that's going to be one of those when we're talking about game of the year in 2025, where we're like, yeah, I finally played Banishers this year and it was really fucking good. I should have played it last year. <laughs> like that's what yeah. the game is going to be. So, you know, what's really interesting is without saying too much, I think someone's going to take this in the very wrong way of what I mean it, but knowing you, and knowing what you do and don't like about certain games, I think that this game is going to give you more of a lot of what the ideas of God of War, Ragnarok, were trying to do. Oh, God. But with the amount of control, freedom, and nuance to gameplay that you want. Because there are things about Ragnarok that are just compelled. And if you want to play the game, you are going to play through this in this capacity. And if you don't want to, it just acts as a stop. Is that really true of every single game? Of course. But since I know exactly what your hangup was there, and the whole thing of God of War Ragnarok is trying to be like, we want you to play as multiple people and experience multiple viewpoints. And I think Banishers does a really good job both in how it's set up and how it continues to use throughout gameplay the ability for you to play as more than one person without ever feeling like you lack the control Mm -hmm. to play as either of them at your leisure. And I think that's cool. Yeah, the dual thing is what is one of the things that makes me really excited for it. So one day I'll put the time in. I just don't think it's going to be in the next <laughs> 800 hours of gameplay. So I think that's fair. Uh, the last game that I'm going to talk about, and it's on both of our lists, uh, I'm going to interject in here real quick with a question from uh, one sweet Helldiver Jones. He's no longer sweet Gran Turismo Jones for the time being. <laughs> uh, but his, his question might belie his name a little bit <laughs> because he says, are you over Helldivers 2 yet? I've gotten to where I'm only playing for fun. Other than con- uh, other than contributing to the cause, I don't have much to do in it. Seems like others are checking out now that it works. And then the little sweat emoji. Um, so look, I'll tell you, I have actually wanted to play it so much this week, <laughs> but not alone. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you what's happened. I have played the game three times in the past week. 
wait, four times. One of them with Chris and mm-hmm. Sean. Yep. Three of them with no microphone and just playing with random people because I wanted to play bad enough that I was like, I don't fucking care. I'm just going to play the game. But the game is inherently better mm-hmm. with a group of people that you can enjoy and play around with. So it's unfortunate. Now that the game works, everyone who was super into it has had too much stuff going on to be able to play. And, uh, you know, Chris is over here stroking off Fallout 3. Yeah. And I get it. I get it. Fallout 3 is a great game. So I'm not hating at all. Brett has never asked me in any of those times he played by himself if I wanted to You are are correct. (laughs) But I usually would see if you were even online. And then if you were online, I'd see what you were playing. And I would adjust accordingly. Does it show you? So I've been fascinated. Does it show you when I'm playing a PS3 game on PS5? It does not. That's so lame. I wish it did, but it does not. It does say that you're online. I can't even remember if it says you're on PS3. I don't even think it goes that far, even though that would be useful. That would be Um, nice, yeah. Yeah, but I know that you're online. And usually if it doesn't show that you're playing anything, but it also doesn't say on PS5, my a general assumption is you're playing PlayStation three. Yeah. And I think that's pretty fair to assume. That's hundred so, percent accurate. If you think about it, the one time that you were playing, um, Pentiment. what was it? Pentiment. Pentiment. I yeah. was like at the risk of pulling you off of a game <laughs> that you may have just got onto. Do you want to hell dive? And that was the first time. So I'm not against asking you, but I'm also trying to be reasonable. And if you're playing fallout three, I know where you're, I know where your heart's at. Yeah, I, I your heart's not with democracy. Democracy's dead in Fallout Three. <laughs> I literally blew up democracy, actually. So <laughs> it's funny because yeah. uh, when you sent me that message about when I was on Pentiment, I had been on Pentiment for three minutes. <laughs> that is so funny. I didn't know that, but I did because we had the conversation. I was like. It wouldn't surprise me if he just got on this. <laughs> yeah, I literally had barely played it. They're like, Helldivers? And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Both times I've tried to play Pentiment, uh, I've been pulled off immediately. Immediately. Yeah. Well, Chris, I you could have told me no, but also thank you. No, I mean, look. Because I want to play Helldivers so much. And I'm I just want, like, damn it. <laughs> I want to play Helldivers. I'm just not going to play it by myself. You know what? And, I, I played five times, and one of them was with, with an old high school friend, and it wasn't oh, nice. a microphone, and it was fun. It was good. Yeah, my, I think my biggest problem with Helldivers is I know that I can't just hop in for one mission, right? It's like we're going to do three missions, and they're all going to be 45 minutes, and that's my whole night. And that's part of where I'm like, I got to work at 7 in the morning. Like, <laughs> I don't want to do this all night. It's so bad that it would be 11 to 15, and I'm like, I could probably get one in. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's where like I've got I've left early some games because I'm like I I'm just not doing another full set and I don't want to bail in the middle of a full set, so I'm not starting the next one. You know. Yeah, I feel you. I understand. Uh, So yeah, I want to play the game, Ryan. uh, If you get a chance and you want to holler at me, uh, please do. Feel free. It's an interesting week. I get to see my buddy uh, Donovan for the first time in I think five years. Oh shit. (laughs) Um, yeah, so he's visiting here, so I'm going to hang out with him tomorrow. So I'm going to be a little more occupied for great reason, so that's not really a problem. Um, also, quick aside, mm. while I'm talking about both Donovan and uh, <laughs> and Ryan, just because I think it's worth clarifying, 
I don't know how I worded it at the end of last week for it to come across this way, but I've had three listeners message me and go, wait, you don't believe in free will? And I'm like, no, I do. Chris doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it is worth saying that, of course, last week I said the, the needle moved for me a bit, and I think people may think that means I flopped. All I'm really saying is I've realized within myself that the way I already operate as is as if free will is at least not absolute. Well, that's always been my thing. It's not that so. I don't believe free will exists, but I believe the the universe tricks us into thinking it does. So, in effect, it does not matter whether it exists or not because you believe that it exists and you yeah, operate think- as if it exists. So, it doesn't matter. It doesn't yeah, matter the- <laughs> if there's a fucking tapestry in the universe that is like, hey you're going to take a left out of your street tomorrow because I'm probably going to take a left out of my street because that's how I got to go to work. But who the fuck, yeah. like, does that fade or not? It doesn't matter. I just don't believe that it exists. That's all it is. You know what's funny is I do believe it exists and I I, I believe it exists in so far as uh, there are times and reasonable expectations of where you should be able to uh, be held responsible for things. Mm-hmm. But I also think, that's why I said I don't think it's absolute. I think there are clear things that we can look at and reason and go, they should not be held responsible to the same as certain other actions because there are outside factions that at least inhibit yeah. Their free will to some degree. And that's where I thought it was interesting because, you know, just to give a little – to shine a little light in there, um, the whole the whole conversation about what kind of moved the needle for me a little bit was this idea that I already view people with uh, – you know, if we view that you don't give your child autism because of your own actions and instead it just happens and they get it because of a disconnect in, in, the, in the womb and while they're developing their brain – doesn't you know uh, build the same way as someone else's, and some of the connective tissue doesn't work right. That's you. Di- you didn't choose to be autistic, nor did you choose the actions that led to you being autistic, right? So it's like, okay, well, we look at that and we view that, and we go, well, that's that can't be free will. So free will can't exist. It, free will is not at least at play right here. And then dyslexia was one that was given. And I was like, that is interesting because used to, you'd look at someone who couldn't read and had trouble and you'd be like, well, they just made, they, they chose not to try to read. So they're bad at it. And now we go, no, they're trying. They're trying so damn hard and their <laughs> brain just won't let them. And yeah. then you go, well, well, that can't be free will either because you can't, no matter how hard you try, your choice to want to do something cannot always go across. You can be like, I want to read this. I've decided to read this. My dyslexia is consistently messing me up. And so I thought that was an interesting thing to say. Like, I don't want to get uh, philosophical at this part of it. We save that for the end of the episodes these days. Yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> but I thought it interesting later. that two people, three people, yeah. all asked me because of what I said last week that I didn't. And I think it's so funny because all of them... Actually, Ryan specifically was surprised when I said you didn't. And it's not the first time. Last week was not the first time I've made reference to the fact that you do not believe in free will. I have made that reference so many times in so many episodes of both midweek matinee when that was going on and in Triangle Squared that I found it interesting. But you know what, Ryan? Full hardcore debate on midweek, actually. (laughs) There is a very hardcore one. Is it during Jacob's Ladder? It might be, yeah. I'm trying to remember. Regardless, 
hey, look, if you want to go listen to old school episodes of something we used to do. Still a good <laughs> show. I still like that show. Midweek matinees uh, out there for you to, to listen to. Still think uh, my so, best joke is in that is in that show, the King Kong episode. <laughs> nice, yeah. <laughs> Such a good joke. I'm so proud of it. My own so, quick aside, I bought an adapter so I can use my DualSense on my PS3 because both my PS3 controllers are broken. <laughs> I've thought about doing it. The main reason I haven't is because of no pressure sensitive buttons. There's very few games where that matters, yeah. but it's the it's the main reason I didn't start from there. And instead, I tried finding the the, the Defender BT, and I which tried has worked using well that for again, me. And it did not work for me again. So the only game I've genuinely had problems on was Wanted. I don't know what it was. Something about the way it reads those triggers was not working. And it was funny because <laughs> it would work for twenty minutes and then it would just stop. And then I could switch to the other Defender BT mm-hmm. and it worked for ha- random indiscriminate amount of time. And then it would suddenly be like, nope. Yeah, it was like one of my controllers has the worst stick drift I've ever seen. Where if I put my controller down and I was outside and Fallout, he would walk across the map. But Funny. the other controller just presses random buttons, and that's worse. That you is know worse. How many, you know how many lockpicks I've lost because my controller just shoots the other way? It sucks. Well, it's funny because that's how I figured out that my 20th anniversary Xbox controller got stick drift. I was playing Oblivion on there, and I'd had that controller for about a year or so beforehand when we were playing Halo on PC. Yeah. And... Um, so I hook it up, I'm playing the game, and I'm walking, and the camera just keeps going upwards. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? And then I switched to the controller that came with the Series X, and it stops, and I was like, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, because the 20th anniversary controller is way cooler, but doesn't necessarily matter. So uh, anyway, thought that's a, that was an interesting thing to get into. I want to play Helldivers. If you are playing Helldivers and you want someone to play with, never feel uh, a feared as I've... I, dude, I'll get there in a minute. But feel free to reach out to me. Uh, Worst case is is I just can't hop on at that moment. But hey, shoot a message and be like, you know, Helldive or For Democracy question mark or whatever you want to do, you know. Would you like a cup of hot hot robots in your area? (laughs) (laughs) So uh, do that. But Chris, I have a question for you that's just from my own soul. Do you ever play games that are accent heavy and find yourself using the words and or accents from the game because it's just it's just interesting and you hear them and you're like that's it it's weird yeah there was one time where i do a bowling league on wednesdays and when i was in my gta4 phase i went to my dad's like oh let's go bowling and he's like what the <laughs> fuck are you doing <laughs> so yes yes i do my biggest example was back in 2013 when uh, metro um last light came out and on PS3, and I was playing it, and they have uh, you know, the, the voiceover for the main character is, is a Russian dude, because of course mm-hmm. it takes place in Russia. So I kept being like, Artyom. Yeah, <laughs> Artyom, I'm here to get you. And my wife was just like, Why? And I'm like, I, It's just, I find accents to be fascinating. And when I'm surrounded by them, I mimic them because it's just interesting. But it's been getting me in banishers because. There's words I've never heard, and then suddenly I heard them in other media, uh, which is interesting. But the main character being a Scott, he says, did nay instead of did not. It's mm-hmm. D-I-D-N-A-E. And I'm like, interesting. Okay. Oh. Or N-E-A, whatever. Did nay. Uh, can a instead of cannot. And I was like, okay. okay. And then a lot of the people themselves have like French accents and because they're early settlers, so they come from different places. And it's just very interesting. But uh one of the characters yesterday said, 
don't be afeard. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot that that's what they used to say. Kind of like back in like the, the 20s, they'd be like, at all, instead of at all. It'd be at all. Like, it's one word. I love that. Accents, man. Killer. They're so fun. All right. Moving along. Uh, we're going to go ahead and jump into the community's take, which, you know what? Didn't get a lot of responses. So shame on you, but also maybe it just wasn't the best community's take question. Can't win them all. You didn't do in 342 episodes. You kind of just, it happens that way. But for, the most, for those of you who did answer, the question was a rather simple one, and it came uh, from, I wish I actually thought to mention it down. Someone else had kind of brought it up in passing about the online functionality of where you can hide yourself on the system. So the community state question was, do you use the feature to show yourself self offline in consoles? If so, how often do you realize if you got to turn it back on uh, to showing online? Rude Days 93, one of our longtime listeners and longtime patrons, he says, been using offline mode for a while because of pesky nephews could <laughs> continually sending me Fortnite invites. I'll then have to turn it back on as one of my Call of Duty friends will get annoyed that he has to scroll through his friends list to find my name and will give me an airful in the party chat. Um, been there, Fair. done that. Uh, there was a short period of time where Chris and I first met, and I think this is interesting. Chris and I hit it off like first time that we that we got to, that we hung out or really that we talked. It was for the podcast for midweek. Yeah. Um, it was an interesting bringing together, but <laughs> I remember that was enough for Chris to be like, I'm sending this guy Apex invites. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'd be playing a single player game, having a good time. And then suddenly Chris has invited you to play <laughs> Apex. <laughs> I'm like, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, and so there was a time where I debated going to offline mode so that you wouldn't berate me with random Apex. Wow. The first time you did it, I was sure that you had done the thing that people do on Facebook where it's just select all and send. I was like, did he just go to his entire friends list, select all and say invite? No, I definitely <laughs> didn't do that. It's brutal. But but look, the upside to it is that a, a, a great budding friendship has come from that random time. And maybe I should have been a little more forthcoming towards your Apex invites, Chris. And for that, I apologize. Yeah, I really hurt right now, actually. Does it help that you know I've played Apex with you since then? Yes, I do know that. Yes. I'll give you I, tried. I did it for you, on Chris. That one. Oh, yes. you did it for me. Thank you so much. So nice of you. You and Sean, actually. Sean oh, had played true. enough Destiny with us that it kind of felt like, you know. <laughs> like you should. <laughs> At the very least, I should try this game. He seems to quite enjoy. Uh, the other one was a quick and simple answer from JehudiMD. Nope. <laughs> Hell yeah. <buddy. laughs> ah, there you go. I, if I'm online, I'm online. Send me some invites. You might get ignored. <laughs> Well, hear me out. My reasoning is that sometimes you're in the middle of a really important cutscene in game and it's very cinematic and swinging around and you're hearing these people spill their hearts out and give this big exposition around what's happening. And then you get bing, bing, bing in the corner and you're just like, I was so invested and now I've gotten distracted. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. That's a fair, fair, valid criticism. So, you know, it's not, it's with love that I ignore you or go offline. 
Oh, got it. It's just I don't always go back online on accident. <laughs> you know, I feel that now. Now that you've said it, I I, I totally feel how that is. It's so funny because Donovan has specifically, for one point in time, he would be online all the time and we'd be messaging and knew we were going to play something, so we'd jump in party chat together. But his account said he was offline for like 479 days or something. <laughs> <laughs> so he is kind of the perfect answer for this. I'll have to ask him tomorrow uh, if he can remember what his what it showed for him before he finally decided to show back online. Um, That's crazy. It's like a mystical prophet has... <laughs> come prophet who was foretold has arrived it almost feels like those times where you see people making the memes about the last time that you play with someone where it's like last online (laughs) 24 days ago after they died yeah (laughs) or whatever or even the the implication of death when it's like this guy only ever knew online and then suddenly one day he hadn't been on in 12 years (laughs) it's like did he die or did he just grow out of gaming and both are sad in their own ways he blocked the shit out of me and i just never knew it's like this guy sucks bro (laughs) (laughs) fucking hate this dude uh yeah so there's the the funny part of it 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 can kind of come down to that all right we're gonna get to moving into the news there's not a lot this week there's one very big thing that i think we kind of have to talk about the rest of it will be pretty quick so we're going to start with the deal labs as chris wrote it on here the notable ps plus leaker even though i think it's dea labs deal labs you might be right yeah I think it just auto-corrected. Anyway, they have been a PS Plus leaker before, and they have been accurate every single time. And they have given a uh, leak of March's PS Plus games. According to the site, Sifu will be available for PS Plus Essential members as one of the typically three PS Plus Essential games uh, for March. So we don't know what the other two are just yet, but if you've been waiting to hop into Sifu, uh, now you can do it without much to wait. I've been wanting to try Sifu because I quite liked Absolver. And the idea behind Sifu does intrigue me, but it wasn't enough to pull me towards buying it. Uh, So if you don't know, uh, Sifu is a roguelite kung fu game where every time that you die in the lore of the game, you can come back at the cost of rapid aging. So as you die, the more you die, the older you get. The older you get, the more experience you have, so you can do more damage, but you slowly become more frail. Uh, so you take more damage, and that's kind of the shtick of the game. I haven't played yeah. it, but I know that that's the basic idea. Uh, Chris, did you get around to playing it? or No, you- but it's, uh, it's a good timing because it's one of those games that I see on sale, and I'm like, yeah, I'll pick that up, and then I never do. And I was like, I guess I won't pick it up. I'll get it for free for once, so, or free yeah. in quotes. So it's I'm happy about it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good game to be added to the, the service, but I run into this problem of exactly why I, I don't mean for this to happen, and clearly we break out of this occasionally. Like you mentioned, you might end up playing Banishers a year from now. Yeah. But I have a really hard time making time for something that I didn't make time for around release. I don't know yeah. what it is. It's not on purpose. It's just like the you get you get blasted with information of all the things coming, and even if something looked cool to you, if you didn't make time for it when it was on your mind, it just... Phew, off in the wind, ephemeral. And then someone will finally bring it back up, and you'll be like, oh, I'd, I'd play that, but I'm kind of in the middle of Banishers right now. And then it, whew, right into the wind again. And then eventually it'll come back around. And if you're real lucky, you might start it and end up having a game that you love or sometimes hate. <laughs> and, uh, you know. But regardless, it's it's one of those, 
you got to, Chris has said it time and again, games are so weirdly time and place. And that doesn't always mean immediately when they come out, but sometimes it does. Sometimes exactly. it does. So uh, the next piece of news that we're going to get to real quick, Sony announced that it is testing PSVR 2's compatibility with PC and that they hope to have more information in 2024. This is interesting for one very particular reason. I don't know for sure, but I think that this is a fairly reasonable tell that PSVR 2 is not living up to expectations and they want to be able to expand it into another market so that they can at least sell hardware. Um, The real question will be whether or not Sony starts to port their PSVR 2 games that are exclusive to PC. There are very few that they have actually published. (laughs) There There are many that they have helped pay for to get to the the piece but it's one of those things where it's just they don't have a lot of actual first party games to have to worry about but maybe that would be a way for them to want to make more because then they go well good we can still sell them on pc and make more down the line who knows um but what are you feeling on this chris i mean do you think that you would use your psvr2 more if you could use your computer with it or do you think it's still just the the general um barrier of using the technology it's just the general barrier of using the technology it's i like vr but it's one of those things unless i'm really feeling it i've never felt like it's worth the time it took me to set up it's it's a lot like hell divers i'm more motivated to do it when i'm going to play with someone else than i am playing by myself yeah if you message me like hey let's give rocket fury a try i'd be like hell yeah let's play some ping pong but I'm exactly. not going to like just go play some ping pong tonight, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's you know every now and then I'll slap my headset on and play some Gran Turismo 7. Great game. Absolutely adore it. Uh, I was really into Call of the Mountain, and that was probably a mixture of the fact that Call of the Mountain is actually a great game. Yeah, I really It was way better than I could have ever anticipated. Uh, mixed with the fact that um, PSVR 2 is new and it had that newness wow factor. So I think both of those things together made me excited to come home and play more of it. Um, but I, I get you. I, I still do sometimes look and go, I've had a long day. My immediate thought is not to strap this thing on my head and stand up. <laughs> and that doesn't, I'm not even taking away from the technology. I love the technology, but I also do think to a degree, I don't feel like there's been as pulling of a game. Like I think I'd have, I would have thrown it back on very quickly and been stuck on it again, much like I was with call of the mountain. If half-life Alex had come over. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, Metro Awakening looks like that'll be the game to do so. And I really do want to go back and finally dig into Synapse, which I also think looks excellent. And lastly, that medieval game that uh, we were talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, which looks really fun. So I think I, I still haven't bothered figuring out what's wrong with mine that acted as a demotivator for me in all honesty, because I was all in Chris and I were going to jump in and have a blast and, Nothing kills your wood quite like, you know, it's not working. <laughs> yeah, termites. <laughs> so uh, there's that. We have a question, though, that I think this is a good time to slot it in that came from one of our longtime uh, listeners and uh, on-again, off-again patron. Thank you so much for that support. We appreciate it. Uh, and he's over on the Discord. It is stingray x john he is a big vr component or proponent and uh, chris and i have played with him here and there i've played with john quite a bit um he asked 
With over 170 games for the PSVR 2, what has been your favorite title so far? And what would you like to see in its next iteration? Um, let's let, let's back in the second. Unless the, the game that you like plays into it, really, Chris, do you think that there is something that the next iteration of VR, PSVR 2 or PSVR 3 in this consideration, uh, that a Sony-made console-driven VR, what do you think you would like to see out of it that you do think would help cross that barrier of entry? Is it just wireless or what? Wireless, yeah, and first-party content, that's good. Yeah. It's like those two things. Like, I think the headset's perfect. I really like the controllers, but I'm sorry. I There's no games. <laughs> like, well, I, I get it. No, no, no hear me out. Yeah. I understand no, I'm, I get it. that there's a lot of games on PSVR, but there's no games on PSVR. <laughs> Yeah, we've had a, a a version of this conversation, but I saw uh, Ryan McCaffrey do his general seeming engagement post on Twitter yeah. where he once again complains about the PSVR 2 that he went and told everyone to buy. And look, does that mean that he can't have been wrong on something? No, he absolutely could have. He could have loved Gran Turismo 7 so much, which also banger fucking PSVR 2 game, that he thought this is a this is a great harbinger for what I should come to expect from PSVR 2, and then it just never hit that mark. That is a completely fair standpoint. But he's voiced that so many times that anytime he does it now, it just feels like he just wants the console people to come in and and yell at him one way or the other. Uh, (laughs) So, look, his point ultimately exists in that there's not been a lot of first-party content for it. Now, as any Xbox fan knows, Ryan McCaffrey being one of them, there was a very long period of Xbox where you did not have very much first-party releases. They have bought so much stuff now that they are finally able to release multiple first-party games per year. And I think that that problem is by and well solved now. But it is a little interesting to look at someone complaining about no first party for something and calling it useless when they defended the Xbox (laughs) on (laughs) the same grounds um, that it wasn't useless despite that it didn't really have any first party support. Uh, So I I do find that interesting. With VR2, it's it's not that it's bad tech and it's not that there's not a lot of games on there, but... I could think of maybe like one title that I would like strongly be like, fuck yeah, go buy this. And that's on PC too. So like, wow, that's my thing, right? Is like looking at PSVR outside of the fact that like I have a PS5, I'm on a PlayStation show and I like trophies. Why would I not just buy an Oculus? It's wireless. I don't even need a computer. Like, there's no good reason. I think that's the thing with PSVR. Like, it was, I've said it, but it was a waste of money in a lot of ways. I'm glad I have it, but I'd also rather have the $600 or whatever it was at this point. Like, I've had a lot of good experiences. Pistol Whip was a lot of fun. Kayak VR, a lot of fun. Even Rocky Fury was a lot of fun. I really liked... um, Walking Dead on PSVR 1. I'm sure I would like it if I was willing to pay for it on PSVR 2. You know, mm-hmm. I'm excited for Metro Awakening. I'm looking forward to playing that medieval game. But not a single one of those games would make me buy a PSVR if I didn't already get sucked into it. 
that's the thing, and that's the problem with I think it. That, I think that's fair. I think Resident Evil, if, if I'm being literally looking at what is only on PSVR 2, that I think you go, why do you buy it over something else? I think Resident Evil 7, uh, well, Resident Evil 8, rather, and Resident Evil 4 VR are very strong components that you can only currently play on PSVR 2. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good show. And I think they're big games. I think Gran Turismo 7 is another one of the big games, as long as it is the type of game that you like, that PSVR 2 enhances to such a degree that it's like, wow. And for anyone who has actually played Call of the Mountain, I think it's a fantastic game. Genuinely surprised, can't say it enough. But you're still talking about four to five games that are only available there and it still becomes at what point have you reached a barrier of enough games at a high enough quality to make someone go buying it would be worth it for these titles alone i still genuinely think gran turismo 7 for the right person is worth the price of entry but it's depending on the person and it continues to go the same is true of resident evil if you like vr but you don't like scary stuff it doesn't matter how great resident evil 8 and resident yeah, evil 4 on vr because you're not going to play them it's just well, the reality of it and that's um, even the thing so, with gt7 it's like the best way to play that in vr costs another 400 dollars. <laughs> and that's not even with you don't even have the chair yet right you have the steering wheel and the and the pedals and then you still need to buy anywhere from a three hundred to six hundred dollar minimum chair, right? For it to really feel like I'm in a fucking car. Like Chris, when you come to visit next, I'm gonna come. <laughs> you are going. I, I guarantee you, you're gonna be like fucking mind blown when I put you in Grand Turismo Seven on VR. I you're gonna be like, it. what the fuck? It is so good. But yes. It makes an already expensive investment so much more. I thought um, about it. I was in Best Buy and they have the wheel and pedals, and I was like, "Yeah, this would be fun." And then I'm like, and then I really thought about. It. I'm like, I would show this to my dad. He would get up and leave, and I would never play it again. Yeah, that's probably true for you. I mean, if we're just being honest to, your, to who you are. Yeah. Um, so my final thing I'd kind of bring up about that, and then I do want to go back to the game for a second. Um, I think the wireless is a really interesting one because I do I would prefer it to be wireless, right? If we're just being honest. But going back to your thing of why wouldn't you just buy the Oculus, I had the Oculus 2. The Oculus 3 does move the bar up, thankfully, some. But the reality is, is I had the Oculus Rift 2 and I've played my PSVR 2 even in the small amount of time that I have played it, in all honesty, more than I played my Oculus 2 because the Oculus 2 had a lot of barriers in its own capacity. A lot of the games were very short. They couldn't be very long. They couldn't be. They couldn't be very highly powered if they were only on the headset, which means you do have to have a PC. And if you do have to have a PC at the time, at the very least, playing the games in a way that didn't fuck with you or make you sick or felt consistent required you to be linked in with a link cable. Can you do AirLink? You can, but it's inconsistent, just like remote play is. So it's very dependent on what your internet environment's like at any given time, and it can change. You can add in delay and latency. And so you get to this thing where it's like, yeah, what are you looking for? Do you want short, brief experiences? The Quest might be for you. But if you really want big gaming experiences, you're either going to need a a Quest and a high-powered PC or a PlayStation 5 and a PSVR 2, both of which are expensive combos. Um, So, yeah, for me, I, I still say PSVR 2 is it. But wireless... I do think is just one more thing to make it easy um, and, and cover that barrier of entry. But to Chris's point, 
it's even if it's dumb that it's marketing, it's marketing. You need to make people hyped and think that I can only play this thing here. And you need to do, you need to do that a few times a year, if not a couple of times a year. Sony by now should have had another first party game that they're like, look at what we can do with this technology. Yeah. And then you might be hyped. You might buy it. Then you might buy the Rocket Fury and the Walking Dead and the Walkabout Mini Golf. You know, it's like that's how you get people to buy the smaller games is you got to titillate most people, most consumers with the big games. Yeah. That's, I mean, the thing. It's like I don't buy my PS5 for Slay the Spire, but I fucking love Slay the Spire. And that's the thing here. It's like I didn't buy my PSVR 2 for Pistol Whip, but I fucking love Pistol Whip. It's the same thing. Yeah. Uh, So going to my favorite game on it, if it hasn't been abundantly clear, my favorite game on it is Gran Turismo 7. But if I want to move away from the cheat code is of, of a game that's already amazing and that I put so many hours into before VR2 even existed, I'll say Call the Mountain. Call the Mountain is, like I said, surprisingly good. It's just unfortunate that my favorite game for the system is a launch title. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. If that is indeed it. But keep in mind, I haven't played as many as I really should have. Overall, I've probably played 12 VR2 games, and that's not enough for being real. So, yeah. All right, moving on to the next piece of, uh, of news here. Thanks for the question. We appreciate you, and we appreciate your patronage. If you want to join John in being a patron, head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month. It's, it helps the show so much. We appreciate all of you who do so. Uh, this next piece of news, uh, since we skipped over it last week, Elden Ring fans are about to be dying good as From Software announced that the hotly anticipated DLC Shadow of the Earth Tree is releasing on June 20th. And it's a beefy boy from everything that, some, that people are talking about. So we're talking uh, a new map area completely. Roughly 60 hours is the rumor going around uh, or the report going around for the uh, amount of content in the game. That's insane. Jesus. Uh and it's a pretty pricey uh, DLC as well, I, Chris. I know you don't have it in the news, but I want to say it's isn't it like sixty dollars? It's forty. Forty. Okay. I, for some reason, I, I knew forty was minimum. It wasn't going below that, but yeah. So pretty beefy price. Uh, if you're excited about this, that is awesome. I am very glad for anyone. Uh, just to, we're doing a show where we're giving our opinions anyway. I have long stated that Elden Ring. Uh, takes the Souls like uh, the Souls franchise and moves in a direction further from what I personally like about the Souls games, which is shorter, more defined experiences. So, am I excited for Earth Tree? No, but I also didn't beat Elden Ring and don't have a drive to. So, don't take my if you liked it, don't take my opinion as much of anything on that. Uh, but if you have been iffy on Elden Ring and or this DLC, uh, and you like the more close-off and and short, you know, tightly scripted nature of games like Lies of P and Bloodborne, there's a chance that Elden Ring does not do it for you. just depends on what you're looking for and what you like. Um, but I'll tell you, for me personally, a DLC that adds 60 more hours to a game that I already didn't want to be more than probably 15 to 20 <laughs> is enough for me to say, no, thank you. But maybe one of these days I'll come back around to Elden Ring and uh, and become a stan. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I had much more fun with Demon Souls remake than I did <laughs> than I did Elden Ring. Take with that yeah. what you will. 
Yeah, man. I like I like Elden Ring, but I didn't finish it. Um, I'm not gonna play this. So happy for you. Is it just because it's more of what you already didn't like about Elden Ring, or is it that feeling that you'd want to beat Elden Ring before you jumped into this, and so it just creates that much more game? <laughs> no, it, I didn't dislike anything about Elden Ring. Really, I was just done playing it, and I'm still done playing it. So I'm not gonna. That's fair. Pick it up, you know. I did laugh that in the Discord, you said, I finally understand Brett not wanting to play Persona 5 Royal <laughs> because I'm not about to give 60 hours to a DLC of, of Elden Ring. Yeah, not a not a chance. Well, but I'm glad you can at least understand where I'm coming from now, Chris. Persona is still the greatest game of all time. So Many people say Elden Ring is, so... Well, they're fucking stupid and should probably play Persona. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, The last piece of news that we're really going to cover today, uh, there's a few other things that happened. Nintendo had a bunch go on. Uh, There's been a lot of games that have been announced, some of which are exclusive to PlayStation, like, uh, was it Falcom, that are just blowing up with games like Reynatus. And um, there was another game. I think there's a new East game. Um, Yes. Reynatus looks pretty fucking cool, though. I don't know what's going cool. on entirely, but it. I saw a lot of people talking about how it gives them a reminiscence of Final Fantasy Thirteen Versus and then the Virum Rex parts of Kingdom Hearts 3, where it's this whole stick of about uh, a fantasy and reality or whatever. And it, look, it looks cool. It's anime people in, you know, semi-futuristic environment in a, you know, Shibuya, Japan. It looks cool. I don't really have much else to say about it. Look at it. See if it looks up your alley. But it, it's, a, it's a cool game to see being exclusive. And you know what, Chris? Before we get into this last piece of news, it's worth having a little short discussion. Um, so Chris likes to name the episodes. Most of the time, we don't ever hint to them in any real capacity. Chris <laughs> kind of does it for his own enjoyment. Yeah. Uh, but his tongue-in-cheek name for this episode was When Everyone Plays, Xbox Still Gets Skipped. <laughs> uh, and when we hopped in, I was like, what are you talking about? And he started talking about all these games that got announced, which is fair, and how the online conversation around it is that not only is all of Xbox... Okay, all is strong. Not only are some of Xbox's games moving away from Xbox exclusivity to other consoles, Xbox can't even get these games uh, that are that are being announced. Um, so, I don't, I don't envy the position of... Uh, of phil spencer here to have to deal with this but there is a part of me that wonders <sighs> i saw an article today let me, let me back up i saw an article today that was from michael pactor saying that you shouldn't think that xbox is trying to lose the console war rather you should think that they're trying to win at business yeah that's probably and true i don't care <laughs> absolutely true so I think the thing to say there is that it's saying that, yeah, on the console side, they have lost, but they're yeah. not trying to double down that loss. They're trying to still win the business aspect of making money as a business. Um, and with that in mind, you do kind of look at this and go, hmm, okay, if you still want to make money, shouldn't you still be trying to get every game that you can to come to your system? And this is an interesting uh, continual chicken and egg problem that Microsoft has had. And Chris, I mean, I mostly agree with your thing, and I don't want to steal words out of your mouth. Uh, you were talking about 
this uh, the, the calculus, as it were, of how you reach this. Uh, and I wanted to kind of see the floor to you and kind of let you, uh, you know, spell that out. <laughs> well, for me, it was just I was laughing because when all of this stuff was happening, you know, it was Monster Hunter Stories isn't coming to Xbox, but it's coming to Switch and PC and PS4 and PS5. And Renata is not coming to Xbox. There's at least again, at least not right now. Who knows what happens in the future? But it was funny to me because I saw a lot of people goes were saying on Twitter it was like, oh, you know, Xbox is giving away their games, and then this can't even come here. This is embarrassing. And I was laughing to myself because I'm thinking about it. I'm like, this is showing you the problem, right? Sony's not paying for Monster Hunter Stories, a what, probably ten year old. I'm just guessing game that is being yeah ported. is it a 3ds version i'm not sure but an older game is. being ported to x to ps5 after a couple of years sony's not paying for exclusivity on that capcom mm-hmm. is making the choice that it won't sell enough to make making an xbox game worth it whether that's fair i'm not going to say fair because nothing in life is fair but whether Agreed. that's the right decision or not is a question that we can ask but what made me laugh about that whole thing of conversation, it's like Xbox is putting their games on PlayStation because they're not selling. And you can just tell that the reason that other games are not coming is for the same reason. Right? You're not getting Monster Hunter stories on Xbox for the same reason that Sea of Thieves is coming to PlayStation. Those are the same calculus. Mm-hmm. But instead, it's like, oh, Phil Spencer is an idiot because he can't get it's like, dude, Phil Spencer is trying to save the brand, whether it's going to work or not. It's probably going to because, again, even if they get out of the console business, they will still be the richest gaming company that exists. It doesn't matter. They just missed with their box. And that's the thing. If what you care about is the box, you're still going to have a box. It's going to be a Game Pass machine. And you should just be like, oh, it's awesome that Sony is now funding Game Pass. Because that's all that's going to happen, right? MLB is coming to Game Pass. Don't be shocked when Starfield's on PS5 and Call of Duty's on PS5 and most of these games have migrated over that Game Pass is getting better offerings. Because that's what they're selling you. They're selling you the box so you can get Game Pass. They said in their business update, Game Pass isn't coming to other consoles. So that's the play, right? The play is, this is your Game Pass machine. For $515, you can get 500 video games. That's the sell. And when Starfield sells $10 million and, or 10 million copies and Xbox gets 700 million of that, you know what that's going to? That's going to GTA 7 on Game Pass, which is ridiculous, but you get what I'm trying to say. The, yeah, the of course. Caliber it's of going towards game. making sure that you continue to up the caliber and quality of video games hitting your service day and date, if right. possible. You yeah. shouldn't even be surprised. It's a stretch, but I wouldn't even be surprised if we get to a point in the future where Microsoft has so much money to spend in this avenue that they look at Sony and they're like, Concrete Genie on Game Pass? I'll give you $20 million. Like it, That stuff wouldn't even surprise me because Xbox has given away the console war to a degree. Again, it depends, but I think it's pretty telling that all of this is happening before April is over. Um, 
So just look at it that way, right? It's just the, well, that. it's finally bringing home what, and I, I don't mean to interrupt, but I think no, it's important good. to say it here. Talking. This is finally bringing home what Saul, myself, and you have all said since the beginning of the PlayStation Five and Xbox Series X generation. It's just finally bringing it to a head where Microsoft is outright saying and acting upon what we've been thinking they were doing. They they are giving up on the traditional console war. They still had vestigial aspects where they were being like, we're still going to try in that sphere. We're still going to aim towards it. But it's been obvious for a while that their primary goal has been Game Pass and how they can continue to expand it as much as possible and where possible. All they're doing now is doubling down on that and making moves to continue to be able to do that. Is it weird? Of course it is. Even though I thought that this is not too far out of the realm of what we might see, it's still weird to actually see it happening because it's very different from what console wars for people who hate that term. It's, it is what it is. We saw it with, like we talked about last uh, last week's episode between Sega and Nintendo. These are what they are. They are wars, and it's two people trying their best to be able to head a market. Um, and Xbox is just finally legitimately being like, we are all, we are all but throwing in the towel. We are, you know... We, we're giving every single thing we can, but we're still going to have a, a machine with some exclusives for some period of time. But in the long run, we're moving towards making sure that our real business, Game Pass, can be profitable. Yeah, That's not a bad move at all. I even understand it. And I share everybody's worry about what that may mean for the console space and competition if PlayStation does feel like they're not having any real competition. But the reality is Nintendo's still there selling more than everyone <laughs> yeah. so if that continues with the switch predecessor then uh you know our uh successor rather than predecessor so we will see i'm with you i think it's interesting by the way monster Hunter stories is the 3ds title i thought it was um yeah it's like a let's see seven-year-old game so yeah Finally coming over with voice acting and everything. So, yeah, I agree. It's, it's interesting to see. But let's go to this last piece of news real quick. And it is probably the worst piece of news. Uh, in a depressing uh, bit of news, Sony has also been hit with layoffs. Herman Holst, head of PlayStation Studios, said in a release that this was a result of the company's focus shifting. He continued mentioning that multiple games had been canceled one of which was confirmed by Jason Schreier to be Twisted Metal, uh, a live service game that seemingly drove off from Lucid Games and had finally parked at Fire Sprite before being canceled. Another huge domino that fell today is the closing of the storied London Studios. The studio has a history of developing games for some of Sony's niche console peripherals like iToy and PSVR uh, and, of course, PSVR 2. Besides this, they may be best known for the very popular SingStar series. It's interesting. We were walking through a flea market Saturday with my wife, and I saw a SingStar game, and I was like, that series was insanely massive. And she was like, I've never heard of it. And it surprised me because she was like, I would have thought Guitar Hero was bigger. And I'm like, Guitar Hero might have been bigger, but SingStar was real fucking close. I I don't describe it. It's just, yeah, I was like, it's just ease of access people had a lot a lot of people had ps2s and it was i can sing on my tv let's go (laughs) (laughs) uh anyway uh to be clear london studios has not closed yet but sony has proposed to the eu the closure since they are of course a uh, london studio this was the same situation that happened with the revived free radical to uh, at that 
Embracer shut down. Sadly, they did end up closing, so I would not hold out hope that this hurdle saves any jobs. Um, man, look, this sucks. And this is a really hard thing to be real about how we talk about it because I think as a consumer and as a fellow person who understands the fear of unemployment and all that stuff that comes with it and a consumer that wanted to see what some of these studios were making and see them come to life, this feels shitty. (laughs) On the other hand, I cannot say with any kind of absolute certainty as no one really can say what exactly the numbers that Sony was looking at from a business perspective that drove these decisions. With that in mind, I think it is worth extrapolating a little bit and trying to understand what may have led them here. And I don't think it's a real crazy salute or a real crazy uh, end point to find that this happens at a lot of these studios because of the ever-increasing need for open market companies that are on the stock market and openly traded to continue to show improvements to what they bring in versus what they spend. And there's a very easy version of me looking at this in a jaded way and saying, this is probably mostly because they needed to make stock, they needed to make shareholders think that they were doing well. And even if all these things weren't necessarily losing them money, they were a quick way to shore up costs and make their numbers look better ahead of very particular happenings involving shareholders and mm-hmm. open trading. So I kind of want to start there, Chris. Our job as a podcast of just people who talk about games from the fact that we play them, we don't have any ties with Sony. We don't have shit. (laughs) We're just being honest. We have each other and the listener base. That's what we have. Um, But I still try to be fair to the fact that I understand these are businesses and I understand that businesses do need to make money. And sometimes decisions have to be made that go against what I as a consumer would like because it's for the good of the business. On the other hand, it's very easy to see what I just set up. So how, how do you feel about that? Do you think that it's reasonable for consumers like you and I to try and give benefit of the doubt um, in these scenarios? Or do you think we should be like they're just doing it for the shareholders? <laughs> um, I don't think benefit of the doubt is the right word. Um, but I do think there's... Yeah, I, I don't know. I get what you're saying, and I don't necessarily disagree, but I'd never want to say I want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I think if if everything that's been kind of like Twisted Metal being a live service game being uh, rumored, factions being canceled, what's clear is that Jim Ryan got obsessed with looking at what Fortnite was doing and pivoted all these studios so they probably hired, they probably built up so they could support a live service game. And now that Hiroki Totoki or Herman Holst or Bungie or all three have decided that this isn't going to work properly, they canceled all these games and all these people are getting fired. Now, that is a business reality. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's very clear looking at the games industry that people hired thinking that what was happening during COVID was going to keep happening, which 
everyone and their mother could have told you that if it continued happening this long, we'd probably be in an apocalyptic scenario, right? That's just basic logic, right? If four years on, we still can't leave our house. That's the apocalypse, <laughs> right? Like, like straight up, that's what it is. And it's not that, right? So you can't look at what happened in COVID as real, but a lot of people did. And I think that's the problem now, right? Is that now we're correcting, you know? And yeah, that's people at home with lots of time, lots of extra money because of COVID relief. Yeah. I, I mean, plenty I'm, of time to play a bunch of live service games and throw money. Well, Chris, I want to interject something in here that I think is really going to shape the rest of this conversation. And in a way it's, going to kind of pivot it off in a little bit of a, a direction. But at the end of last week's episode, after it posted on YouTube, uh, Big Box 1431, he's commented at various times in the past about different things. Um, but he talked about how we spoke on Helldivers 2, and of course it's success, and he says, Helldivers 2 is going off. Didn't you guys say, quote, live service was satu- saturated, end quote. Time to reevaluate your position, question mark. No. Um, and I really, you know, I mean, as as we do, I appreciate that you wanted to reach out and give your uh, thoughts on something and ask a question like this, because there are times where we do have to sincerely reevaluate positions. That is true. Um, and so we had a back and forth a little bit where I expressed some of where I think Helldivers 2 doing as well as it is doing is a good sign. The fact that it's really Sony's first non-already franchise um, games as a service title, and it, it seems to be doing well. It's very early days, but it's selling well at the very least. And if it can continue to pop off in this way, that's great because it may show that Sony has a better eye for this stuff than we thought. One of my first arguments was I don't think Sony actually knew Helldivers 2 was going to be this big. I think that's obvious in the fact that the game was not built to handle the scope of where it's at. Um, That's first and foremost. Um, But I brought up a couple of other things that I think were worth mentioning. And of course, it's it's not my area. I'm not a big games as a service person, but I have long talked about my skepticism. So one of the things that I had mentioned was that the A, I will will reevaluate that position realistically, definitely from the prospect of Sony, when either Fair Games or Concord come out and do equally as well and survive for enough of a period of time to be more than just a flash in the water or a flash in the pan. So there's that. But my second thing was talking about how this is entirely anecdotal, but Chris, you've been a a little bit of a part of this as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of the people I know who have played Destiny 2, a lot of my old clan members and the clan that I'm still, I talk to a lot of people from um, in in a Discord that we had for it. A lot of people have been jumping off of Destiny 2 and playing Helldivers 2. And so my very quick remark was, if that stays and people go to Helldivers 2 and fall off of Destiny, then I don't think that PlayStation wants Helldivers to be successful at the cost of Destiny 2 no longer being viable. Uh, and, and I got distracted, so I wasn't able to to finish the, the response. Um, but he mentioned a couple of things about talking about the success of Destiny 2 and how if Helldivers 2 was to steal population from destiny 2 then destiny 2 is still already a success and it's time for them to move on and make the next thing um wow whoa chris's ghost in his house has knocked over his 
his life. But Chris, what I was going to do was uh, pass that over to you and kind of see where you land on that, because I think some of that does play into this conversation about why we're probably seeing this and whether or not we think that Sony is moving away from games as a service at large or if they're just moving away from these projects within games as a service. And also, I figured I'll, I'll start this from a point of... Uh, of niceness he says it's a fascinating topic you two put on a great show the future is very exciting so chris it's it's all with love but of course um, this is someone who self-admittedly really likes games as a service or at least finds the topics to be quite interesting and had a lot to offer and say and i appreciated that uh, that back and forth so what do you think is going on here and what do you how do you think that some of that conversation plays into what playstation is doing right now with these layoffs and what companies at large were doing with these layoffs um I think to to go back to his question, I don't think we need to reevaluate our position because <laughs> Helldivers being successful doesn't mean the market isn't saturated. It means Helldivers broke through that market. And it's like you said, how long are people going to be playing Helldivers until they go back to Apex? Until they go back to Fortnite? Until they go back to Destiny? That's I mean, probably June, but that's, you know, that's the question, right? Apex just put out a new season and it's still pretty big. Fortnite is Fortnite. We don't even have to talk about it. But so that's, that's the thing, right? I think, and I think it makes the most sense for Sony is what makes more money, right? Does developing 10 live service games knowing nine of them are going to fail good for the bottom line or is developing one damn good live service game or two or even three damn good live service games and hoping they're even moderately successful and then bringing the focus back to what made them big in single player games right you know along with everybody else you being Brett, not the user or listener, yeah. you know that everybody is going to buy the next Naughty Dog game, the next Sucker Punch game, all of these types of things. And Sony has to be realizing the consistent money is in these games and trying to figure out how to bring the costs down. Right? Because it's that is the wrinkle. That, yeah. I was just about to say, that's the one wrinkle. It is consistent money. But if they also consistently budget climb like Spider-Man 2 did, that's, that can't be sustainable for long, which puts us in a weird spot. Well, and that's that's the question that nobody seems to confront, right? Is I feel bad for all layoffs and all of this kind of stuff, but I also sit here and ask, like, well, did you need all these people to make Spider-Man? Probably. I'm not going to sit here and disparage anyone or sit here and act like these layoffs are a good thing the industry is has a cancer right now and i think i think this is the result of what it is um is these layoffs but I, that's what I, what I think is going on i think there's a reshift in focus to hey we have to just make what we're good at what we're good at has sustained us for years let's go back to that and maybe they have to have someone take a good hard look at what they've been doing and go it's better for us to cut Spider-Man's budget in half and release two games 
within two years instead of two games within ten. Not that that's what happened, but you understand what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. So the hope for me is that they look at this and go, smaller games are not a bad thing. They are buoyed by Ghost of Tsushima and The Last of Us, but does they don't all need to be barn burners? You know, it was Sean Sean Layden, I think, ten years ago now at E3. One of the things he said was, uh, I don't remember what game he was referencing, but he said um, it wasn't a multi-million seller, but that wasn't the point. Yeah, I can't remember what game that was either now that you say that. But yeah, very interesting. I think that says a lot about how growth of a company and structure of a company can change where the decision-making processes stop. And part of the reason I say that is I think Sean Layden can say that at the time where PlayStation was during that era. But then when you move together at a Sony that has all combined together and gotten rid of uh, there being a Europe division that's completely by itself and an America division that's completely by itself, and instead you move all of it together to a new headquarters in America and you rebrand and restructure your entire company and your company grew a lot because of COVID, as many industries did, what happens? Suddenly, the decision-making process is with people who want to see nothing but dollar, dollar, dollar. And there's always a war that we've talked about in this show, too, between artists who are just looking for every opportunity they can to take from business and people who will pay them to make a product and get to essentially (laughs) manipulate people with money into being able to let them make what they want to make. (laughs) That's kind of what it is, but within the constraints of what the industry does well with. Um, So when you look at that, that battle is always raging, but I do feel like in recent years, that battle has run the risk within Sony of shifting too far in one direction. And he brought up um, big box, the who knows how accurate it is now, but you know, about two years ago or about a year and a half ago, we got insights that about 60% of their budget, for game development had moved towards live service games and the other 40 would be roughly, um, you know, single player traditional Sony games that you know them for, which I actually don't think is a bad split. It's uh, probably a lot more generous than plenty of places for my own proclivities. I think I would have really liked a 60% normal single player games, 40% live service, but you know, it's not that bad. But yeah, I wonder how accurate is that now? Because, you know, it's easy to go, well, if Sony didn't know and didn't have people that knew better, why would they put 60% of their budget? They may have thought that at the time. Has that changed? I don't know. And I'm not really sure how we find out until uh, either another big lawsuit happens and we happen to get a lot of information that we shouldn't have, or if another big acquisition happens and we get a lot of information that we otherwise wouldn't have. Two things have been true in the in the gaming industry for the past four years. First and foremost, COVID completely changed the way that games were being made. And as much as it sucks, the wording that I used here, this is in response to a change in the way the games are being made. Yes, because games are no longer being made like they were in COVID. Uh, that seems reasonably intuitive to me. Couple that with the fact um, that we have learned far more than we ever should have during this time. And I think you have a very interesting landscape for games uh, coverage that we usually don't have. 
I don't really know if it's fair to say that moving forward, we'll know as much about Sony's inner workings as we did throughout the Apple court case with Epic and the Activision acquisition. You know, that's those two things brought out more information than we normally get in 10 years in a four year period. True. So look, I, I don't know. I think it's clear that Jim Ryan, it makes me wonder, like I'm back and forth on if he was, if he retired or fired the posted by Jim Ryan, but the way they're going, it makes me look at that. It makes me think that Sony looked at his strategy and went, this is not going to work. How about you just say you really don't like to fly and move on? Like, it's that clear. Because even some decisions made today don't make sense to me, right? For all, it seems like factions was being played, right? Colin Moriarty has mentioned that he knows people who played it and said it's fun. We had the screen leak. After what happened today, it makes me wonder, why didn't they put that game out and then have London support it? You're shutting them down when you could have used them to support this game. Naughty Dog puts it out, goes, here you go. They send, you know, Neil's protege over there so he can work on the game and whatever lore they're going to put into it. And then the game's out. And London has, everyone at London has jobs. You have a live service game that was probably pretty good. Naughty Dog is a single player developer still. It seems like a win, 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 win. And instead, 900 people lost their job today. It's a weird, weird move. It's certainly weird. And, uh, you know, considering that I don't think either of us even necessarily strive to be people who are knowing the very intimate ends of the games industry. Um, I, I don't want to speak for any of our listeners, but I, I like to think that the reason podcasts like this, fan podcasts, do well is because people like to hear the thoughts of people who are keeping up with and apprised with what's happening in the game industry, but not at a level where they're out of touch with the general consumer. And I think that that's why fan podcasts do so well. There's a general like of feeling like the person that you're watching is someone who's more in common with you than maybe Destin Legary is, or I'm just throwing a name out there, but point being there is a disconnect between true games media and fan games media there just mm-hmm. is. And uh, one of the major differences is information. We do not get information in the same capacity or way, and we don't get leaks in the same way. Could we eventually get there? Probably. Do I want to be there? I'm not necessarily worried about it. <laughs> uh, to that end, the best that we can kind of do is just offer thoughts as, as to who we are. I like to figure out how things work and the inner workings of things. Like I talked about, playing a card game is fun, whether you're good at it or not, because it's just... I'm learning how to do something new. I recently started golfing because I was like, I don't know how to golf. I'm left-handed. It took forever to find left-handed clubs, but I found some friend bought them for me at a reasonable price. And now I golf every now and then it's fun to learn and figure out what I'm doing wrong and how I could do it better. I like that. And that's why I get interested in a lot of what's happening in the games industry. Um, So I'll close this with saying it sucks that 900 people lost their job. I like to hope that this is as least impactful as possible and as uncomfortable as a truth as it is. I've said it before. 
I think another chunk of this 900, if we're being honest, is also people who were hired on during a time where they needed more bodies to throw at things because of disruptions in, in games development that are people who would not have been hired under a normal games industry hiring spree. And they only got hired because of this. And now some of these redundancies are people who would have never been in the industry if it wouldn't have been for COVID to begin to begin with. Mm-hmm. And does that suck? Absolutely. Is someone still losing their job and potentially their livelihood? Absolutely. But it is a little easier to feel like, well, that sucks, but I can understand than it would be if a company was just firing 900 people who have been well in, indebted into the games industry for years. So it's possible. Certainly possible. Yeah. But possible but likely who knows i don't know i also wonder how much more it costs for people to work remotely for these companies because you have to wonder if that's part of it too is like now we have to set you up at home because it's everyone's become so entrenched they're like i'm not gonna come back so you almost wonder if they're like yeah we just got to move on from the people who aren't there. I don't know. We're just kind of making stuff up to cover for the company at this point, right? So, well, no, look, let's let's follow your tread of thought because I think it's it's an interesting thought process. And I'll say that much like Chris, what you and I are working on, where it's just a string of figuring out the pros and cons of every single decision we've made, mm-hmm. right? That's what we're doing. That's what any company's doing. Pro, you have a much wider hiring pool. If you're willing to hire someone who doesn't necessarily come into the office, you have a much more diverse group of people who live in areas where you might be able to pay them differently. And you'll have an easier time building up your workforce. And they might be great workforce because maybe this person lives in Austin. Mm -hmm. And Austin's not nearly as expensive as Los Angeles. You know? And so when you look at that, you get a much wider ability to hire You don't have to worry about people having to move to you. So people who you want but who are unwilling to move will no longer become an issue. You just go, hey, work at home. The problem becomes that you have to provide people who work in your corporate space that you're renting out a computer to work on when they come in. You also have to provide a computer to people who are working from home. How big is that space that you're putting in? Do you want to make it big enough for people to actually come in when they do need to come in? Maybe they work from home 70% of the time, 30% of the time they come in. Who knows? Who knows? So, yeah, it's to your point, we just don't know. <laughs> there's there's yeah. just as many positives to hiring remotely as there is negatives. That is definitely a fact. Dude, one of the biggest ones, there were, did you see this underground movement towards teaching people during COVID how they could work two jobs and be hired from two people and do both jobs simultaneously stacked on top of each other? Yes, I did. I did see it. Yeah. To this day, if you can find two companies that are work from home oriented and you are smooth enough, you could do two jobs, work half of what you would at each job and get paid double. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no wrong. Is that happening widespread? Probably not. But the fact that it can happen at all is a very good reason for a company to be like, I don't know if I want to run that risk because you just don't know. You'll never know. No. Um, and he, I, it was funny because I saw one article of this guy who, he worked from home and all he did was create an AI bot to keep his Slack online. Mm-hmm. And he was fine, which says more about the companies that we work for than anything else. But yes, very much. Uh, it's, it's all look, it's all bad. 
<laughs> or it's all at least it's it's all interesting and it's all unfortunate. That's what I'll say. Not yeah. bad. It's unfortunate. Um, but I hope that we're going to see the end of these layoff sprees. Um, I think my biggest loss here is that still no fucking Twisted Metal. <laughs> like all this time. And the Twisted Metal show on Peacock seemed to be a success. And Twisted Metal has got a lot of good cachet in its name right now. And now we're that much further removed from being able to capitalize on that in a gaming capacity. And as much as I'm normally not a live service player... Twisted Metal is a shoe-in live service franchise. It's so it's just waiting to be tapped into, in my opinion. Yeah, I guess, but Destruction All Stars didn't do very well. No, it did not. Arguably a different game, though, but still, it did not. I had more fun playing Twisted Metal one and two PS One versions than I did playing Destruction All Stars because they're different games. Um, who knows? All right, Chris, uh, we got one more question, and then I think we're going to wrap this baby up and get moving along and, uh, and see everybody else next week. So the last one comes from longtime listener, longtime patron, JehudiMD. He says, how many times do you hit the snooze button on your alarm clock in the morning, and do you use your phone or an alarm clock or maybe your own concierge? <laughs> Where do you place the alarm clock phone far away under the pillow, nightstand by the bed, or do you not need an alarm at all? So Chris... Walk me through your uh, your morn your nightly ritual of setting an alarm if you use one, and your morning ritual of uh, of waking up. Um, my nightly ritual is usually going to bed. The last thing I do is put on a podcast, put sleep mo- or put the sleep timer on, and then I set my alarm. I put my alarm on the nightstand next to me. My alarm is my phone. I put that on the nightstand next to me, and then I fall asleep. That's important. all right. So when you wake up in the morning, do you do you hit snooze? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. It's bad, uh, dude. I, I wonder how bad. My wife. This is. I'm gonna follow through. I, I give her hell for this all the time. My wife. She's getting a little bit better. She sets like twelve alarms. So I'll see her sitting at the bed, getting ready to go to sleep, and she's got like a, a 7, 7.05, a 7.10, a 7.12, a 7.14. And I'm just like, come on now. And it's like, as she gets closer to when she absolutely bare minimum has to be up, the the gap between the alarms gets smaller. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess she can't fall back asleep as easily before yeah. another one comes out. So sometimes she turns, uh, this actually what annoys me. Sometimes she works Saturdays. Sometimes, yeah, because uh, she's she does hair, uh, and I'm usually trying to sleep in on Saturdays. And sometimes her alarm will go off; it'll wake me up. It's fine; I can go back to sleep. Not a huge deal. But she'll forget to turn off her seven other alarms while she's taking a shower. I have to go and tell her phone to turn off every single freaking alarm, <laughs> <laughs> and it kills me. Um, I don't yeah, do the multi thing, dude. I can't do that, and I tell her all the time you probably feel worse because she always complains about being tired. I'm like, you constantly are get, are waking up, going to sleep, waking up, going to sleep. You probably get the worst sleep. You're probably making yeah. it worse by, by teasing yourself with sleep. I than just waking up the first alarm. I used to do that. And then it just, it didn't change anything. I just snoozed those alarms. It would actually <laughs> screw me. She, she does because, the same thing. Yeah. Because if I was really tired, like if I didn't get enough sleep, and I had an alarm. I've had multiple times where I've silenced my phone, not 
not put it on fucking snooze, just turned off the ringer. So I'll wake up like an hour late and it's just you pick up the phone and it just has alarm going off and there's nothing coming out of the phone, which is why I hate using my phone. But every time I've tried to use like a real alarm clock, like even an analog one didn't work. That's wild. So to give a little bit of insight on mine, uh, I have a Pixel Watch 2 now that I got for free when I got my Pixel Watch, when I got my Pixel 8 Pro. Um, It's not a device that I ever intended to spend money on, but since it was a, if you buy this phone directly from Google, you get a free gift of either the Pro headphones or the, uh, the Pixel Watch 2. I was already buying the phone, so I got the watch. I actually really like the watch. And it makes a lot of my things easier. So since then, I still have my analog alarm clock that's plugged in with a cord, not even batteries. Oh, wow. Uh, and <clears throat> it's on my TV, it's on my dresser in front of my TV, uh, which is across from me. It's like when I'm laying our, our TVs across on the opposite wall. Um, it's there. I still look at it whenever I wake up in the middle of the night to see what time it is. But about a year ago, um, even before this, I started switching to using my phone as an alarm. Or actually, I switched to using my Google Home as, as an alarm because I'd be laying too. in bed and I'd just say, hey, set an alarm for you know, 645, 620, whatever it be. Um, but I am pretty good about waking up first time, usually. Here lately, I've gotten to where I, I put like a 620 alarm and if I wake up and I'm like, I don't really need to be up for another 30 minutes, then I'll just set an alarm for 6.50. But I'm not... That's it. So I snooze once. Yeah, I if try... If I snooze and, at all. I try and set it as close as when I need to rapidly move. Because... <laughs> because like in a situation like that, I've lost precious time setting that new alarm. That's true. Right? Like it's time you could have gone back to sleep. <laughs> right. So for me, <clears throat> like I take showers and get ready the night before and I don't usually eat breakfast. So it's a situation of just like, all right, I'm up. Put clothes on and put go my clothes on and leave. Yeah. That's like how that's I my morning too. roll. So I tend to just be like, it takes me 18 minutes to get to work. I'm going to get up. 30 minutes before work. That's, you, that's, that's basically how I operate. It takes me 10 minutes to get to work. Yeah. So I usually wake up about 20 to, if, if I'm sleeping in about 20 minutes, if I'm not sleeping in, cause I want to take a shower in the morning. Sometimes I, I'd rather take a shower in the morning. Then I'll wake up 40 minutes before work mm-hmm. and just do that. Um, but see, I do, me and my wife are so different in that. I'm, I'm, a night owl, I get very productive in the middle of the night, but I wake up fine for kind of regardless of what time it is. I'm, I'm never cranky. And it's interesting. I don't drink coffee. Everyone I know who drinks coffee is a fucking asshole if they have not drank coffee. And it, it makes me <laughs> laugh. And then they're always like, how do you not drink coffee? And I have zero problems. I'm not a dick in the morning. It's very, it's interesting to me to witness. Um, but I did used to tell her when she would do that, I'm like, you know that you using your phone for an alarm you're, you can reach it so easily. So when I was using the analog clock, you know, the, the analog alarm, I had to physically stand up, walk to the alarm, turn it off. And by that point, you're up. Why would you go lay back down? 
that's my like my thought process too is like you physically make it to where you have to get up. So that, it's a little different now. When I switch to the Google Home, I can literally just say, "Hey, quiet," and it stops. <laughs> and even easier now, dude. When I'm laying in bed, I just set my alarm for my watch, and then in the morning, my alarm, my my watch just vibrates and it wakes me up. That's it. That's insane. I couldn't do that. <laughs> My biggest problem with it, and kind of why I hate working mornings, is I don't trust the alarm. So, like, I've been, I've been bit. You know, I said I didn't have batteries in my actual yeah. alarm clock. There's been a few times where my old ass house, the power's gone off. And it resets the the clock. So even though the power comes back on, it's no longer accurate, and my alarm right. is not accurate. And I'll just be like, I'm 45 minutes late now. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> I've had enough times where I wake up and the alarm just isn't making sounds. And so I'm at the point where, like, if it's if I got to be up at seven and I can't sleep at 3 a.m., I'm just not going to bed. I'm not risking that. REM sleep like yeah you're not waking up right now bro type of thing I'm just not going to bed so luckily it hasn't happened in a couple of years but still not past the fear the fear oh that's an interesting one people's sleeping habits I find to be so interesting and I've always wondered if I started drinking coffee would I become an asshole until I've had my morning cup yeah, probably. Like how much be, of that is addicted. how much of that is born off dependency? <laughs> Listen, I'm a crack addict who hasn't had his crack in the morning yet. What do you expect from me? <laughs> yeah, it's just addiction. Yeah, I, I don't know. I find that one very interesting. But morning rituals are quite are, are quite odd. Judy, you need to show us, uh, shoot us your your morning ritual and what you use. Uh, I'm glad that I just wake up real easy. My final little bit on that, and then we'll close off. Is I remember whenever I was, uh, I didn't live with my dad for a few years in high school. And ninth grade year, my stepmom would come into the room in the trailer that my dad lived in, and she would just crack the door open and she'd go, Brett, it's time to get up. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay. And I'd get up. And that was it. <laughs> I didn't have an alarm or anything. She'd just open the door and whisper, and I'm up. And people find, like, apparently that's not very common because most people are like there's no fucking way <laughs> yeah that's i i don't trust myself to get up nearly enough to do a no alarm fucking no protection run no thank you yeah well to be fair i knew she would wake me up so i didn't yeah. need an alarm as a as a child it's as a an adult point. i know i need an alarm so it's, it's a little different <laughs> good i'm glad you've grown up in the the year since you were a child the year, the, year. <laughs> the single year. Yes. Who, man. All right, Chris. Well, thanks for joining me as always. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time worrying about what the community stake will be. We will get that out on social media. So if you want to find us and follow us and be part of the community stake, where we ask you guys to offer us feedback on something we talked about during the episode, or just give a chance to shoot back and, Offer us a separate or differing opinion than what we may have said, much like Big Box did in the comments in the YouTube video. So if you want to do that, feel free to do so as well. But you can find us on uh, social media. That's at Triangle SQRD on X, formerly Twitter. You can find us in the Discord linked in the description below, whether you're watching this on YouTube or listening on podcast services. And if you are watching on YouTube, please consider subscribing and liking the video. 
helps with the algorithm, maybe put us in a couple of uh, in front of a couple more faces than we would have been. If you're listening on podcast services, consider giving a review if you like the show. Chris, thank you for joining me as always. And lastly, I want to shout out our patrons who head over to patreon.com slash nartech and gave as little as a dollar per month to support this show and keep it trucking. And without further ado, we always shout them out at the end of every episode. So thank you to Duh Overlord, Spencer, Brandon Edwards, Alex, Barry Rogers, Stingray X, Easton328, Aztec King, Leechion69, The Lord Corgi, Bailey Robertson, uh, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Matthew Green, and Sean Sandrude. Thanks to each and every one of you. See you next week. Thank <laughs> you.